Hey, what's all the commotion in the recording studio? Uh, oh, hi, Pim. Well, it's just me reliving my childhood memories of playing Batman and Robin with my brother. Well, okay, but be careful and try not to harm the equipment. Holy electronics, Pim. I wouldn't dream of wrecking our studio. Well, I had a feeling this would happen ever since that return trip to the National Corvette Museum for the opening of the Custom Charisma Exhibit. Yeah, getting to see all those futuristic cars, including the original Batmobile from the Batman Returns movie, really brought back some great childhood memories. Did I ever tell you that time I came down with double pneumonia while pretending to track down Mr. Freeze in a real-life blizzard? <laughs> Just thinking about that gives me the chills. But we certainly received a warm reception when we attended the sneak preview of the Custom Charisma exhibit to see the fabulous cars created by Carl Casper. How about we take a bat turn back to Bowling Green and hear all about this special showcase from the Corvette Museum's curator of collections and exhibits manager, Bob Bubness. To my knowledge, this is the first time anybody's done anything of this scope for Carl. He's had a number of his own car shows. For 55 years, he did his own car shows, right? But he didn't really put the emphasis on himself. And I think that's kind of the beauty of those car shows, too, was here he was this creative dynamo, right? And yet he opened up the doors for other creative people to show off their cars, too, which has really kind of had this... this uh, impact on the industry that just kind of spread all the way through the custom car world and he made that possible I mean, one of his car shows he had 118,000 people show up so look at all the exposure that was for other people and that just kind of shows you what kind of person Carl was uh, one of the real attractions to all those auto shows was those new cars that were being developed for them and this is one of the uh, greatest examples this is the Cosmic Invader and this is not only an example of a great custom car show but Carl's forward thinking. Uh, back when in 1970 when the EPA was formed, uh, it was in re reaction to all the pollution that was going on. You remember how you see pictures from back then, the sky was brown over Los Angeles and New York. It rain. Yeah, oh my gosh. And here he was thinking ahead saying, what can we do about that? And so this is a fully electric car that he built in the early 70s. Now, electrification in automobiles has gone on for a long time. In fact, in a few years, we're going to have to get you guys to come back because we've got an exhibit on electrification coming up. But this is an early example of his forward thinking. But he wanted electricity and new technology to be exciting. And so let's not be afraid of electricity. Let's embrace it. Look at this thing, right? The Cosmic Invader. And what's really been cool is we've had, uh, we had a group of uh, fourth graders come through. I expected to make a beeline to the Batmobile. Uh-uh. They were surrounding this car. And it was really a great thing to see that even now this car translates to uh, younger people as a form of inspiration and excitement. And really that's one of the underlying themes of this whole exhibit is to encourage and spark that germ of an idea in a young person to be the next Carl Casper. Well, you have hit it on the head. I'm going to write down everything you just said and work that into my speech. That is Carl's intent. You know, Carl, is as he looks at, he couldn't make it today because of health issues. But the intent of putting this together was to inspire young people to get off their phones, to start thinking about what it is they could do, and start believing in themselves. And that's really Carl's story. Because when you look at this car, and this is a great example, early on, he grew up in a very 
poor environment. I mean, he was, uh, he, he describes it as the bottom of the very bottom. And he had to go to work to help pay the bills for the family. So he, 12 years of age. Yeah, yeah. And so he went to work for, he was throwing papers, at, uh, newspapers at 11. And before that, he was working with migrant workers in, in fields. And he, which kind of shows a different mentality, you know. I mean, it's like he really wanted to help. And, but he was enamored with cars because he was born in Flint, Michigan. He was enamored with vehicles. So he got a job working for an upholsterer and learned how to be a master upholsterer as a child. He went to work and hung out at body shops so he could figure out how to do this paint. What you're seeing right here is all his work. He did the upholstery. He did the paint on this car. He did the full design of it. I mean, when you look at all those disciplines in one place, it's pretty remarkable. So that was his goal here. He, he said, I just want people who are young to believe in themselves again. And this is his way of doing that. I mean, a paint job like that, this today would seem futuristic. And he set the tone, like you say, for a whole industry. Absolutely. He's considered, you know, one of the preeminent pinstripers. And if you look through this exhibit, you'll see that a lot of actual pinstriping was done. This pinstriping was done by people who love Carl Casper and who were inspired by Carl Casper. So we already see the effect of Carl Casper on the future, just looking at all this pinstriping and sign work that's been done here. So, and again, going back to what we were talking about, these car shows, this was a place to showcase the work of other people. So, of course, he was in magazines like we see here. You know, a lot of people, you know, like he was in the same league as people with, like George Barris, you know, who developed the first Batmobile, which is kind of interesting. He worked on the 1992 Batmobile, right? Uh, but that was the whole idea of those custom car builders was to build fantastic cars. And certainly that falls into that category. Again, being a Batman fan all my life. There you go. I you knew know, there was something yeah, I liked about it. Absolutely. When Michael Keaton comes out in this version of the of the Batmobile, you uh-huh. you think up until then you've seen it all. Yep. And then we realize we ain't seen nothing. And and all the things that uh, goes on with this uh, car. And now to see it making a comeback with Michael Keaton yeah. in the future Flash movie, right? Yes. Um, I was sitting there watching the Super Bowl and eating some hot wings, and my jaw dropped when I saw... I knew Michael Keaton was going to be in it, but when I saw that Batmobile in there, I thought, oh my gosh. And you know what? It speaks to the desire to go back to those days. You know, I think a lot of us who grew up with these cars, that grew up with the Batmobile, my kids, you know, they see the magic in these cars. And it'd be great to see the, you know, for people to see magic in automobiles again that way. And I do think that we see that with the C8 Corvette. You look at that, it's drawing this younger audience, right? So we're going to have all these Corvette people come in and they're going to see these cars too. And it all goes together, really, when you think about it. Let's uh, uh, talk about the, uh, the purple beast in the room. Well, I love that car. It's a 1951 Mercury. And the great thing now, you know, I encourage you to look at the expert upholstery in this, the expert paint job, the beautiful pinstriping, the bodywork. This is all Carl Casper. Now, his first uh, car was a 51 Chevy, and he began to take all that he learned about upholstery, all that he learned about bodywork, all that he learned about pinstriping, and he began to put it in his own daily driver. 
Next thing you know, he's, he takes to an auto show, see what happens, and he wins the governor's award. Wow. And he goes, wait a minute, people love my car. I'm going to start building some other ones. By 1963, he had started his own auto show. And, of course, the rest really is history. But this is a great car to have in this collection. We decided to put it up against the Sunrise uh, because that kind of gives you the, the mood of this car, you know, the spirit of this car. And even in his own promotion of this car, he had a Sunrise, so I had to do it for him. But this is a great example of what somebody who has passion, skill, drive, and belief in themselves can do. And yet, you know, this is probably not the model of a car that you would first think of turning into a custom like this, yeah. maybe. This was exactly. an everyday, yeah. you know, family, go out on the road on the weekend type of uh, vehicle. And yet, he's transformed it into something so much more. Something magical, yeah. yeah. absolutely. And that just goes to show the genius of this guy. He sees, you know, that 32 deuce, and he sees something that the rest of us don't see. And it reminds me of... Michelangelo chipping away to get to the statue. That's Carl Casper. He's painting away. He's doing body work, a lot of leading, you know, because they used lead mm -hmm. at the time, to sculpt out what was going to be there all along. And uh, this is a beautiful example of that. Probably my favorite car here. You know, the, the extra touches that he puts in, it looks like every piece, the, the extra antennas, yeah. the uh, purple steering wheel to match the, the paint job but then to offset that with such a beautiful white that's probably a no-no because uh, you didn't want white upholstery because it gets dirty right so easy but uh he took extra paints and um, coordinated something just so out, outstanding well i think you, you 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 hit the nail on the head by going with white he said this is a car that we need to take care of this is a car worth caring and loving this is not the car that you're going to drive around and do goofy stuff in. This is the car you're going to love. And a lot of people followed suit and built cars that they love. And oftentimes didn't go anywhere else but the car show. That's right. That's and, right. And only if it didn't rain that day. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> and if we can, uh, you know, have it uh, hauled there on a trailer or flatbed, all something, the better, yes. all the better. <laughs> do we want, want to take just a brief visit over here? I mean... Songs, Beach Boys, a little scoop. Who didn't want something like this? Yeah. Well, the great thing about this car was Carl found this, and he was thinking the same thing, Beach Boys. And he put this car away, and years and years later, he got caught up in the car shows, and he kept looking at this car. And he got doing another car show and looking at this car, building another car and looking at this car, and eventually said, nope, it's time to build this car. And so that's when he sat down and really applied his full talent, he just poured everything he had into this car as a tribute to those days. And, uh, you know, this was one of the cars, actually, that he hand-selected for this group, a grouping of cars. Because this really best expresses his all-out creativity. Uh, and plus the pride that he had in rescuing this car. Most people would have junked this car because it was in a junkyard and didn't look like it had any hope purpose. Yeah, no hope at all. And he said, no, I'm going to bring you back to life. And here it is today at the National Corvette Museum getting looked at by 250,000 people a year. A car that should have just, that could have just rusted away in a junkyard. Lost to history. Lost to history. And now it's a part of history. And again, something that I think would inspire any young person. You know, when we were in school, auto mechanics was a thing. 
you know, you know, we would learn how the internal combustion engine was put together. So in case maybe something went wrong, we'd at least know how to put spark plugs in the thing. I don't know that we, well, you know, that's gone away with electronics and solid state. So just to be able to see an engine and then have dads or granddads explain, okay, that's a carburetor. Those are fuel intakes. Uh, those are headers and, you know, all that stuff. And this is what we did when we were kids working on these cars because we didn't have the internet back then. Yes. We didn't have I'm so the distractions. Yeah. I'm so thankful because I remember myself sitting under a tree working with my buddies to get their car running. And we had to get that car running or we weren't going out on Friday night. We weren't going nowhere. It, right? Exactly. And so that's really what it was kind of all about. And Carl Casper just kind of exemplified that. And he said, this is what you can do if you take it to an extreme. Mm-hmm. So he inspired a lot of us. I remember my first Mustang. Don't put that in anything. Uh, no, I loved that Mustang, but I called it the Midnight Rider, and I turned it into a custom car, all based on all of the models that I had seen. I thought, this is possible. I'm going to do this myself. And it became an expression of who I was. And that's the other thing about these custom cars. Each one of these is a reflection of Carl Casper. Each one of these is a part of his personality. But it's also an, an encourager to other people to look at their cars differently as well what does your car look like in your mind we have that connection right because a lot of times when we go looking for a vehicle and especially a corvette you know that is a statement that is uh, oh yeah you know that's part of who you are part of yeah and and we have this long standing love affair almost uh, as much for the vehicle you know i've cried when i've sold vehicles that my kids grew up in that you had you know special trips in and things like that because you just have that it's more than just a set of wheels and you're putting gas in each weight and and this kind of goes to that next level of love and attention to the american dream absolutely i think it's one of the things that this exhibit tries to do too is say is your is your car a reflection of who you are or is it just, you know, what you could afford? Well, you know what? It's like my daughter. I, I made her buy her own car. And she didn't want get the car that she thought she could afford or the car she wanted. But she got the car that most matched her personality. And I thought, yeah, we're getting there, right? Mm-hmm. She had some body work to do on it. But, you know, it became a yeah, nice That's car. what gives them character. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then it, you buy into it. You have skin in the game, basically. Exactly. And it puts your fingerprint on that car. Exactly. And like you said, it's, it's a reflection of who you are. Now... Of course, when you talk about a need for speed, Carl was there too. Yes. Here's the beauty of Carl Casper. You know, he was doing custom cars and really starting to build a reputation for himself for doing cars that ran and that fully operated. Every one of these cars can drive. And he was challenged by somebody to build a race car. He built, uh, he built a couple of them that didn't quite work out. One of them is very famous, The Undertaker, which he looked at it and thought, no, this is not going to do it, but it's going to make a great model kit. And next thing you know, he's selling all these model kits, right? And that's one of the reasons why we've got these posters up here. These, each, ones, each one of these are a blow the up of the box. Wow. And so the people can remember. And I've had people go, I built that. I, I love hearing that when people come through here, right? I made that one, too. Well, in this particular case, he took on the challenge of building a race car that could beat the best in the world. And at the time, that was Don Garlitz, right? Exactly. And his Swamp Rat. So he built, a, he, he built his first one. It didn't work. He got the next one going. He wasn't really confident in it. Eventually, he built this. And this car 
beat Don three out of four races. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. Here you've reached, you know, the heights of automotive, custom automotive design, right? And you've got these great auto shows. And now you, you conquer, the, you climb this mountain too? I mean, there really wasn't a lot this guy couldn't do. And this, you know, is no small feat. These machines, very expensive and yet very dangerous if not done right. Uh, you've got that much torque under the hood or above the hood. Uh, and, uh, and, you know... Uh, there's a whole different mindset, I think, the, going into this car than any other of his creations. Absolutely. Well, with most of his cars, he did all of the engineering, everything himself. I mean, he picked the engines out. He, he did what he needed to do to make that car perform. In this particular case, he brought a team together. And he said, I'm going to design this car, but I want your expertise on the, on the oh, engine. Mm-hmm. I want your expertise on how this is going to be driven. He hired a driver to do it, too. He got a team together but this was his dream of getting this car out on the track and beating Don Gartless and he did it with a team so he wasn't only a solo performer he was a great ensemble player too and this this is a great example of that in action and you know there there used to be an old uh, cartoon show right speed racer or something mm-hmm, like right, that right. Uh, or I can't really think but this is what reminds me of that car I don't know if there was any connection at all but uh uh, it's so American. Look at you know, it's got the flag, it's got the eagle, the colors, and even the ecology flag. Right. I mean, how many cars go around with the old? Uh, yeah, that was again going yeah, back to the seventies. Yeah, right. and the peace symbol. Here's the yes. peace symbol. Right and, here. and he used that peace symbol. If you notice, it's on his helmet as well. The whole time he was about let's come together and have some fun. And yes, this thing is not uh, going to be very good on the planet right now, but let's remind people that we have a planet to take care of. I mean, that's what I really love about Carl was, yeah, let's have some excitement with this car, but let's keep looking at hydrogen. Let's look at electricity. Let's look at other ways of getting around and having fun. Yeah. I wish this guy was like, you know, 25 years old again taking on another generation because we really need people like Carl Casper in, in, uh, in our world. Well, I was going to ask that just real quick because it does seem like, I don't know, you don't see people getting involved in the custom cars as much as we once did. That's I, I, do I have a, a feel for that or, or what do you see? Well, you know, back then it was a different deal. You could go get an engine in a junkyard and make it work. Today you have to have money to do that. I mean, if you're going to make a Camaro that you're going to go track, it's going to cost you a pile of cash to make this thing happen. If you do the work yourself, yeah, it's going to be less, but it's not like it was. You don't remember hanging it, hoping that tree branch was strong enough, right? Exactly. They don't have those considerations. It's not like that now. It's a, it's a different yeah, world. And, you know, um, and I think that's one of the things that Carl's trying to remind everybody of is, okay, it may not be like it was. But what can you do to affect your future in a positive way? And that's always the message he's hammering across. Yeah, you're not going to go to a junkyard and find that engine, right? Right. You're not going to find that 32 deuce at a junkyard. But you'll find something if you look hard enough in your life at what your talents are and put them to use. So that was his big deal, believe in yourself. Let me ask a couple of questions about you and... Are you from Bowling Green? What brought you here? How Uh, long have you been here? I'm actually from Wichita, Kansas. 
and I went to California to be in a rock band, and I found out everybody went to California to be in a rock band, so I, it didn't work out. Um, I married a Corvette gal, and my daughter wanted to go to WKU, and I loved my daughter. I couldn't be away from her. So I'm, I had my own business, so I moved to WKU, or to move to Bowling Green. Um, how I got this job, though, was I was involved in the publishing industry. I was a, a freelancer doing all kinds of writing and all kinds of work. And I was, I hated working by myself. And I looked in the newspaper one day and there was an ad in the newspaper. This goes back to when they put ads in the newspaper for this to be here working on their magazine. And I've been here for 14 years now and loving every minute of it. So I'm a storyteller at heart. And so being able to tell stories about these great cars, the Corvette too, because I have a Corvette past. That's 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 what brought me. I can tell you're very passionate. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do love it. I do because there's so many great stories. Whether you're into the cars themselves, there's the stories of the racers. There's the stories of the engineers. There's stories of the guys who risk their jobs, their livelihood, their pensions at GM to make sure we still had a Corvette. You know, that's what makes the longest running mark that there is 70 years this year, right? Other than what? The Suburban. Really? That's it. Wow. The Suburban's the only longest running one other than us. And that's because of the passion of people willing to sacrifice to make sure that this kept happening. Because Corvette represents something so much more than just a car. I mean, it's an ideal. It's... It's who we are. It's an expression of all of us. Whether you're a Corvette person or not, it belongs to you. It's a dream. Who doesn't yeah. dream of having one? Yeah, and it's a part of who we all are. It's so much ingrained in our culture. We've had yeah. songs about Corvettes, many songs, really, yeah. uh, but in movies and TV and yeah. just, you know, uh, of course, uh, again, being a child of the 70s uh, with um, American Graffiti, but then Corvette Summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just when you look around, there they are. Yeah. It's always been kind of that that uh, vehicle that you aspire to, that a- aspirational vehicle. and But it's still within the reach of everybody. I mean, yeah, I, you know, when you look at what a Corvette is today, it's expensive, but it's not Ferrari expensive. And it's faster than a Ferrari. It's better than a Ferrari in some ways on the track, right? And it ends a racing. We, we came in second place at D- Daytona beating Lamborghini, Ferrari, Porsche, you know, all those guys. Uh, a Mercedes beat us. Okay, all right, we'll get you next time, right? <laughs> right. But that's kind of the whole thing about Corvette. And, um, you know, it, you can get one used. You know, I'm looking at a, for a C3 right now. So I can go under the tree with my sons. I can change that engine or do what I got to do, the lifters, whatever I'm going to do. We're going to do it together. Yeah, and that, that was so much of that camaraderie and in, in bonding really yeah yeah with our young people and even and I, i'd like to say you know it's national women's history month and there is a, a story to be told there of how women were so influential along the way uh, oh, to keep yeah, the corvette brand alive even from the very beginning harley Earl realized that women were a voice in buying cars so that's when he started the damsels of design to get their opinions in the design studio and even though they kind of knew it was a PR thing, they took advantage of that and they pushed as far as they could. One of them went, in, we went to work for Raymond Lowy. But their inspiration inspired a whole bunch of uh, other women to say, I could do this too. And now today, you know, I look at one achievement after another that you can point right at 
you know, a woman for. In fact, if you go through Driven by Design, there's a part there where I highlight four female designers and how they're very impactful mm-hmm. into all of that. And then you look at today, the the woman who's running the entire racing entity of GM right now, Laura Clouser, uh, she's a, an engineer. They wanted her in there because they knew she would be able to get all that engineering data from all those different sources and pull it together for one, you know, database that everybody can pull from. So you don't have that competition like, you know, between Cadillac teams or those breakdowns of communication. She's bringing it all together. So, yeah, it's uh, and then, of course, Mary Barra, you know, mm-hmm. you know, leading the charge. I'm thrilled about that. But you think of people like Betty Skelton, you know, who... Who would have? Uh, she passed all the tests. They called her Mercury Seven and a Half because she went to work to show that she could do it. She passed all the tests, and she looked at Seven and a Half like it was a compliment. Today we'd look at it like, no, it should have been Mercury A. But fighting for the at that time, she was glad to at least get everybody acknowledge that she belonged on that team. And so, yeah. And to get that exposure yeah. and to and let here, others know. Right. And look at that. There she is on Life magazine in, a, in, a, in an astronaut outfit saying, this could be you. And now you've got that happening all the time. We're about to have the first woman on the moon here in about two years. Yeah. So hopefully as long yeah. as yeah, everything works out. It. They will. they have to do it. Yeah. It's time. It is. And, you know, Betty Skelton, of course, here she was uh, leading the way. She was driving a Daytona and Corvette. She was showing these guys how it's all done. And here she was a stunt pilot. Nothing. I got to meet Betty actually, oh, and it cool. was abs- I'll tell you what. It was amazing because she was she was pretty well up there, but the light that was in her eyes. If I if I had taken her on the track, she'd have gone. I just know it because that fire was still, she still there. Was there? Oh yeah. Real quick, all these cars uh, still belong to Carl, right? Yes. And, and so he's got them in, a, I'm sure, a very secure, yes. uh, very nice uh, location. I've, I've been to the compound. He actually lives in Florida now. He was, he was born in Flint, okay. and uh, he now lives in Florida mainly because of health concerns. I see. But Louisville became his home of operation for his big car shows because, A, he thought the people were amazing. He loved the people. They embraced everything that he did and uh, made him feel welcome. So that's why those, those were his biggest car shows. But I know he is so honored and, and so appreciative to have this opportunity to have people get to see these works. Yeah, I mean, you know, he had his last car show in 2017, and I know that kind of gets to him, but he's, I think he's 84 now, I think. And, uh, but still, you wouldn't know it. You know, I've, I've been with him, and it's like, wow, this guy's got more energy than I do. But, uh, yeah, he wishes he could be here, but... You know, I remember in his email he wrote in all bold letters, please let this inspire our youth, please. And so we're sending him pictures and letting him know what all we're doing. I'm, I'm going to tear up if I think about it too much because it's killing me he can't be here. Most people would think, okay, how much more am I going to have to shell out to be a part of this exhibit in addition to what I'm already paying to tour the, the rest of the museum? I don't know. This is all part of the, the admission. So uh, we do these kinds of things. This is, our, this is the exhibit gallery that we change over every year. And we're always looking to bring people in to see something new and fresh and inspiring. And this is, couldn't be any more inspiring. How many years in advance do you plan 
Well, we've got a 10 year plan, so, wow. and I'm hoping I'm here for all of it. So, yeah, uh, and the 10 year plan goes for all the exhibits. So, some of them are staggered, they go every other year, so that every year you're going to see something new in the regular exhibit halls, and you're going to see something new here every year. So, pretty much half the exhibits are going to change every time you, you come over here. And then ever so often, Mother Nature comes along and decides she wants to have her own exhibit. Yeah, she's pretty, <laughs> she's pretty good at that. Uh, pretty dramatic, yeah, yeah, if you ask me. We're not anymore of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, um, but that is such a great educational portion, too. I mean, you've got the geology of this area and then just the technology that had to be brought in to stabilize. And it's amazing to me that now it's uh, still an exhibit space. Well, that's going to change because uh, I don't want to be that to be our identity what really came out of that for me though was the way that the love of the corvette community just came we didn't know how they were going to react and this wasn't our fault this was just something that randomly happened but the support that we got i'll never forget i was uh, we have a 40th anniversary car that was just destroyed and i remember thinking you know are people going to want to donate cars to us again and a few days later i got a call from a woman that said i have a 40th anniversary car i want to replace that and i'm right now talking to you i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that and we've had that it turned out she was planning on giving it to us for a long time but that just goes to show you that support that we had from the corvette community to me, this, the, the Corvette story is something that's built on, it's like a stool built on three legs. You've got racing, you've got G, you know, Chevrolet, and you've got people, the people who love them. And whenever one of those legs is a little shaky, it seems like the other legs take on the weight. And it was like, that's one of the reasons why I've been around 70 years. I mean, look at all the times Corvette was almost canceled. Happened over and over and over again. But there was always somebody to make sure that it lived on. And for us, our little uh, encounter with Mother Nature was just another example of how Corvette people will not be defeated. How many times have you wanted to actually climb into the Batmobile? Uh, well, uh, every day really when you get to work? or I can't actually talk about it because this guy right here, <laughs> he's the one I got it from. This isn't Carl. This is one of uh, Ron, this is Ron Rollins. He's one of oh. the Carl's uh, okay. you know, confidants and the guy that takes care of these cars and watches over hey. them. Nice to meet uh, you. So, yeah, uh, but I have thought about it. I think Michael Keaton was a little, maybe have been a little smaller than me. Though, cause I look in there and go, I'm not sure I could fit. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think I might get half of me, yeah. but I'm not sure which half. Uh, yeah. But, but uh, you know, I, I just want, I want to see the panels flip up and the machine guns pop out and all the gadgets and everything like that. Uh, but I doubt we're going to get that, right? No. Well, at some point, we're going to have some kind of special event where we pull the the uh, top of it off. It doesn't uh-huh. look as much like the Batmobile when it's when it's out, but we're going to see if Carl is going to be, allow us to open up the cockpit and let people look inside, because even that has been fully designed. Mm. So, yeah, That's it's incredible. we are going to take some pictures of it, though, and we'll probably put it online so you'll get to see it anyway. You know, what's funny... One year, I actually rented, because I couldn't afford to buy it, but I rented the bat, that Batman suit right there. It had the uh, sticks in the cape that you could, you know, and I, I put it on for Halloween, and uh, my little dog just lost her mind. She had no clue who was in her house right then, but it was, uh, it was super cool to put on the cowl and the cape and just feel like for a second, you know, 
Well, I got a confession to make. If you look at our Facebook page, you will find that we do Halloween pretty big around here. And one year, I made myself this Batman outfit. And, you know, when I didn't make it, I, I assembled it. Put it together, it. yeah. I got the cowl from this guy. I got this, and I put all these pieces together of what I thought a modern Batman would look like. And our whole department dressed as characters from Batman. So we had a Joker, we had a Catwoman, we had a Poison Ivy, and we had me. And this Batman, which I still have, which is hanging up in the closet. Fantastic. Which may very well, that come out. security may end up finding some footage that I'm going to have to explain later. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm totally with you. And I yeah. still have it. So we'll, we'll see. You might, you might get a picture of that too. That's Bob Bubness, a great interview and fellow Bat fan recorded live and on location at the National Corvette Museum. And check out his personal Facebook page for some great pictures of his past Halloween costumes with his co-workers and just a few Corvettes. You know what they say, Pim. If you can be anybody, be Batman. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. We'll have more great topics for you each Monday and Friday. They'll be posted to our website and also wherever you find your podcasts. Have an idea for our show? Email us at aroundtownwithstarkandclark at gmail.com and be sure to tell your friends. He's Stark. And she's Clark. And until next time, we'll We'll see see you around town. town.